right. Good afternoon, everybody. You are tuned in to KDNK. Uh, it's now time for Ask the Vet, where we get together with some veterinary professionals from the Valley. My name is Darren. I am a certified veterinary technician from the Alpine Animal Hospital. With me today, I have Dr. Louise Marin, who is also from the Alpine Animal Hospital. How's it going today? Hi, Darren. It's good. Good, good. So we have a bit of an interesting topic today. Um, it's one that's not necessarily strictly in the animal world. Um, it affects both animals and humans. Um, so today we're going to be talking about antibiotic stewardship or antimicrobial stewardship. Um, what does that mean to you, Dr. Marin? So as a medical professional, we are requested to treat multiple different conditions. And a lot of times um, that means using antibiotics. We also have, of course, antifungals, antiparasitics, things like that. Um, but I think kind of the biggest general worldwide issue relates to antibiotics. Um, you know, we've had them for decades and decades, and a lot of times they seem to have a benefit or efficacy kind of regardless of what you're treating. Mm -hmm. And so that lends to overuse in many cases. And unfortunately, that has developed resistance to a lot of the bacteria that exist in our world, making them less effective and creates a really serious situation when you have one of those resistant mm -hmm. infections and there's nothing that can treat it. Exactly. The, the one that comes to mind to me is MRSA. Um, that one is one that, if I remember correctly, is a, a product of that antimicrobial resistance, unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah unfortunately. <laughs> yep. And so MRSA is an acronym. It stands for Methicillin-Resistant Staphylococcus aureus. Mm -hmm. Staph is a type of bacteria that's really common on the skin of people. Mm -hmm. Methicillin is only one type of antibiotic. A lot of times that specific type of Staphylococcus bacteria is resistant to actually many different kinds of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. um, we just call it MRSA because methicillin is kind of one of the most potent antibiotics. And so it's it's resistant to not only kind of our biggest gun, so to speak, but also almost everything else on the shelf. Yeah. Um, and that MRSA, unfortunately, has become really prevalent in medical environments, so doctors' offices, hospitals. So you go to the place where you have a problem, and that's where you acquire this really super potent super bug. Yeah. It's pretty nasty, that's for sure. Um, just really quick, I completely forgot to mention that today uh, this show is a call-in show. So if anybody has any questions out there, we are more than happy to answer your questions. Um, you can give us a call here at 970-963-2976. Um, so Dr. Marin, I thought I would kind of just go over a little bit of what a textbook definition of antibiotic stewardship sounds like um, and then kind of put it into uh, layman's terms per se. Um, what I was reading on the American Veterinary Medical Association, or the AVMA, um, is that they describe it as um, antimicrobial stewardship refers to actions veterinarians take individually and as a profession to preserve the effectiveness and the availability of antimicrobial drugs through conscious oversight and responsible medical decision making while safeguarding animal, public, and environmental health. Um, I thought that was an interesting way to put it. Um, just because it includes both animal, human, and the environmental health. Um, 
my understanding is that it not only affects the human animal world, but also the agricultural world. Um, so I thought that was a pretty interesting definition. Um, and I guess, oh, go ahead. Excuse oh, me. I was just, I'm, I'm interested to know a little bit more about how it affects the agricultural world. Can you expand on that a little bit? So my understanding is that in the agricultural world, I think if I remember correctly, they have kind of open access to um, penicillin, if I remember correctly. Um, Agriculture meaning like animal production? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Animal production. Yep. Um, so my understanding is that they kind of have access to that stuff. Um, and I think the effect of it would be similar to like a a human hospital or an animal hospital in that it's a group of animals, agricultural animals that have that um, potential to uh, get that antibiotic, antibiotic resistance because they're, it's possible that they're doing um, that kind of group herd uh, treatment kind of thing. Yeah, it's an interesting, that specifically is an interesting commentary where it uh, relates to antibiotic use because the way that food animals are raised in the United States um, for decades now is what's called industrial agricultural Mm -hmm. agriculture. Um, And so mass production is basically what that means. So chickens are raised in houses of millions of chickens and cattle Mm -hmm. are raised in pens of thousands of cattle. And so that creates conditions where these animals are under stress. That is above and beyond the normal daily exposure to stress that they would normally be in if they weren't in that industrial agriculture situation. Mm -hmm. And so people end up... um, feeding them antibiotics for a couple of different reasons. One, they are more prone to diseases because of that dense population of trying to mass produce them. Mm -hmm. Um, But also it's been found that they tend to mature faster or grow more when Mm -hmm. they're on antibiotics. Um, And so people will use that to improve efficiency of production. So you get a bunch of animals packed into a small space and you give them all antibiotics to try to keep them healthy and also to try to make them grow bigger, faster, more. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the agricultural use of antibiotics is a huge sector that needs to be reined in to try to reduce overall use of antibiotics and try to preserve their efficacy for Mm -hmm those bugs where we really need them. So there's a lot of things that you can do in agriculture to reduce the need for antibiotics, mainly relating to optimal animal husbandry and reducing the quantity, Exactly. which, you know, then that gets into a whole nother ball of wax because that's people's (laughs) livelihood and that's the food of the nation. And yeah, Yeah, pretty sticky topic. Yeah. I was going to say it's a, it's a delicate balance for sure. For sure. Um, So we've been throwing out a couple of different terms like antimicrobial and antibiotic. Um, In your opinion and in your thought, is antimicrobial equal antibiotics? Is it always antibiotic or? No, antimicrobial is kind of the umbrella term. Then Mm -hmm. antibiotic is a medication that kills bacteria. Antifungal Mm -hmm. kills fungus, um, antiparasitic. So antimicrobial is definitely kind of the big overreaching term. And then within that category, there's more specific terms for what type of microbe you're targeting. Exactly. Which that can bring us into that. (laughs) We can get the MRSA, but there's also the, like you said, fungals or viruses that can 
prol- proliferate and then get get that resistance, which is not great. Um, yeah, it's an interesting quality that you know Darwin described many many moons ago in terms of evolution. You know, s- animals, people, plants are designed to survive and to mm-hmm. survive with the most the traits most likely to promote future generations of said creature, whatever it may be. And so even parasites, worms, bugs, mm-hmm. um, you know, we use, for example, in horses, we use um, dewormers and cattle and, you know, any other animal for that matter. But we use dewormers, we use antiparasitics to try and control that to keep them healthy. And those little buggers develop resistance too. So like heartworm, for example, is a parasite in dogs that we prevent with a simple medication that was always very efficacious, but now we've been using it for decades. And there are some heartworms that you can give them that medication and they do not go away. They just kind of laugh at you like, ha ha. Yeah, no. (laughs) Hit me again. Try harder. Yeah, exactly. Which heartworm in particular is one that it's like that MRSA we want to be sure to preserve that efficacious treatment because it's it's a hard one to treat and it's pretty intense on the body for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's debilitating and lethal. Um I guess this that would kind of lead to a um one of the best ways to um help with antimicrobial antibiotic resistance is through preventative measures. So you were talking about dewormers um and just in general you know, making sure that we're doing our preventative healthcare stuff with our animals and our, and our humans. <laughs> um, I think that was one thing that the AVMA had mentioned in their article that, you know, prevention is the best treatment in that, in that sort of sense. Um, as a reminder, uh, this is a call-in show, everybody. So if you have any questions, we would be more than happy to answer them for you. Uh, that number to reach us is 970 963 Two nine seven six. Now, we've talked a lot about what antibiotics, antimicrobials, and the antibiotic resistance. Uh, how does that happen? Like, how does this? Is it through you know? Is it through one fault of one person, or is it kind of a group effort? Yeah, I would say it's a huge group effort. Um, has happened over the course of the time that we've been using these medications. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's really important to, you know, going back to what you said in terms of prevention, um, it's, you just have to look at our lifestyles mm-hmm. and see that how we've kind of gotten away from health in a lot of ways. Fortunately, yeah. in this area, in this state, it's not as big of an issue. There's certainly still individuals that have, you know, gotten off the path. But, you know, when you say prevention, it's it's being healthy in terms of having good nutrition and good exercise and, you know, trying to prevent the types of diseases that will suppress your immune system. So, um, yeah. It's, I think it's getting the medical profession and also the agricultural mm-hmm. uh, sector on board with health from a very basic foundational standpoint as opposed to just putting out fires because they're constantly starting all around you because we're following poor practice in terms of general, very basic general <laughs> health. Yeah. I, that kind of makes me think of a house where you have to kind of keep up with your 
with your um what's the word that maintenance stuff so like if you don't keep up with your your wiring that's that could cause a fire and then you have to put that out or if you don't keep up with your roofing you get a hole and you have to go fix that in in that sort of sense so that's kind of how i think about it yeah absolutely so you know and i think there's a there are various pressures on medical professionals that Mm -hmm. we succumb to sometimes when we're you know, just trying to get through the day or we have a particularly persistent person on the other end of the request. So um, and the the funny thing about medicine and life in general is that the placebo effect is a real thing. So, um, you know, if you see a problem and you think X is going to fix it and then you give X and then it gets better, we tend to think X is the the reason that it got better. Whereas if you had maybe just waited three days and, you know, given a little bit of sunshine and fresh air, the same outcome would have occurred and you wouldn't have used antibiotics. And so kind of going back to your question, I skirted around it. The way that it happens is not completely understood, this antimicrobial resistance, but it does have to do with genetic selection, basically. You know, a certain individual got exposed to this chemical or this molecule that was supposed to kill it, and it didn't. Mm -hmm. And so whatever quality of that individual that allowed it to withstand the the thing that was supposed to kill it then gets passed on to the next generation. And the reason why that's terrifying in bacteria is that they – reproduce you know they they split by cell division so there's no gestational period there's doesn't need require two of them to make a third one um they it's just cell division and they can pass genes from one cell to another um and so it's the the spread and the rate of transmission of these resistant qualities is enormous mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely terrifying because, like you said, it can happen really fast. So. Yep, and on a huge scale. If you yeah. think about the number of bacteria in inside any single human being is in the on the order of billions. <laughs> so it's, yeah, that's a lot of opportunity for one of those little buggers exactly. to get by unscathed and then tell all his friends how he did it. <laughs> Give them the secret key. Exactly. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's a funny analogy. I I don't know why. I just imagine these little bacteria being like, hey, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that, like you were you were saying with those pressures, um, something that I kind of think of is, you know, when we have pets with diarrhea come into the clinic, um, a lot of, I guess a lot of, a lot of the time we treat that with antibiotics, which it, I guess it's been shown um, through a couple of studies done through like Hill Science Diet um, that a lot of times these bacterial imbalances that we see most commonly with those, um, they can be managed with alternative therapies besides antibiotics, um, which can then help us reduce the use of those and then not have as much antibiotic resistance coming through that. Um, would you say that that's something that that you see in practice? Definitely. And so one of the challenges is that this is kind of, we're recognizing a problem and we're trying a new Mm -hmm. way of doing and being to solve it. And um, change is hard. 
And so, you know, someone that's had a dog for 10 years and the dog before that for 10 years, and every time their dog got diarrhea, they just went to the vet and the vet gave them antibiotics and the diarrhea got better. And so now their dog has diarrhea and they just want the antibiotics because that's what fixes it. (laughs) And so, and sometimes, like you said, you can solve the issue with other ways, Mm -hmm. but that takes a little more patience, Exactly, takes a little more experimentation. And sometimes ultimately you do need the antibiotics. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're all pretty impatient these days and we want immediate results. So it's kind of hard to explain to someone that just wants the antibiotics because that's what always fixes it. Mm. The reasons why it's important to maybe try something else first and acknowledge the fact that yes, maybe eventually we will need that, but it would be better if we could fix it without that. And so please be patient. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, we're trying to implement a little bit of a antibiotic or antimicrobial stewardship at our clinic. Um, I'm hoping to facilitate that for sure. Um, so we've been kind of exploring some of those different alternatives when it's appropriate. Um, as according to the AVMA, their, um, their recommendation for making sort of a program of this is doing the research which we do all the time. Um, <laughs> research, I feel like, is half of half of the medical profession um, as far as like keeping up with different therapies, different procedures, new things, like new products that are coming out as far as medications, that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The AVMA was saying that um, making sure that we're making conscious decisions um, while also keeping you know, we're, we're always keeping our patients' well-being in mind as well. Um, and I feel like that can, a lot of times it can seem like um, if we're trying a different therapy, it does take a little bit longer, like you were saying. So we need a little bit of that, a little bit of patience for sure. Um, <clears throat> as a reminder to everybody out there, this is a call-in show. Um, and the number to reach us here if you have any questions is 970-963-2976. Uh, we'd love to answer any questions y'all have. Um, I want to throw in there too. It doesn't have yeah. to be related to topic. It could be anything yes. animal or veterinary medicine related. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank you for sure. I lost my place in my little script here. <laughs> um, I can't think... I guess we could talk about other types of common pathogens that we're aware of that are antibiotic resistant. I can't think of any right off the top of my head except for MRSA. I feel like I've been doing so much research with that. I can't, my brain can't think of anything else. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm saddened to say that there are resistant bacteria for every body part, for every species, um, and in any variety of categories. So um, I specialize in dentistry, and as part of that education, I did mm-hmm. a lot of um, reading and research around the use of antibiotics because oral infection is mm-hmm. a very common thing, and people in historically have always wanted to treat it with antibiotics, which turns out um, has promoted a significant amount of resistance among the different types of pa- bacteria that reside in the oral cavity and ultimately does not ever resolve the infection (laughs) because of the way that the mouth works and the way that you get what's called a biofilm 
and the bacteria get organized in this layer of kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, slime. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, they're connected to each other and they're attached to each other and they have this matrix around them that basically is impenetrable. And so the antibiotics, as long as they're in there, they will affect what's on the surface. And then the second that you stop the therapy, everything that was there before is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that in veterinary medicine is very challenging because um, many people that have been practicing, you know, previously, the newer generations that are coming out of school are being taught all of this. And so yeah. there's a shift happening. But those of us that have been practicing for, you know, decades or more have yeah. kind of are set in our ways. And we have our clients that are used to wanting this thing that we used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's the oral cavity, there's bladder infections, urinary tract infections, mm-hmm. oftentimes mm-hmm. we'll have resistant bacteria. And that's a tough one, because most people know or think they know what the signs of a urinary tract infection are. Um, You know, there's frequent urination. There's a frequent urge to need to urinate. Sometimes you'll see blood. Animals will have accidents in the house. Um, And certainly those are signs of a urinary tract infection. Mm -hmm. They can all, those same things can also be signs of a urinary stone. Those same things can also be signs of a bladder tumor. Um, those same things can also be signs of what's called cystitis. That is inflammation in the bladder in the absence of bacteria. Mm -hmm. So when someone comes in and says, my dog has a urinary tract infection, I just need antibiotics. (laughs) Um, it's an explanation to try to help people understand that, you know, it really is important for us to make a definitive diagnosis first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, to identify exactly what bacteria is there, because if we just shoot from the hip with our biggest gun, we're going to promote bacterial resistance more and more until we get to a point where it doesn't matter what kind of bacteria is in your dog's bladder because nothing we have will kill it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said earlier, change is hard. Yeah. For sure. Um, and I guess that also highlights the importance of doing diagnostics, you know, making sure that we get a urine sample, checking, make sure, you know, is there bacteria in here that we know has a better treatment alternative um, instead of just kind of throwing an antibiotic at it. <laughs> yeah. Same thing goes for ear infections, actually. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of dogs that have ear infections it's a situation where an animal when an animal is prone to it it happens on a recurrent basis and there again people say well the last time you just gave me this medication and why can't i just have that medication again why do i need to bring them in what are you going (laughs) to find that's different than you found last time um and there's a bacteria it's called pseudomonas um that can is often resistant once it gets established in as part of an infection and it really gets to be a majority of the population present on in that particular situation um that one can be very difficult to kill and so in ear infections that one is a big big bad player yeah especially with i feel like that's a that's a common thing that we see next to diarrhea and uti type symptoms yeah. And kind of with those symptoms, it's hard to really distinguish just by the symptoms. Like you were saying, it can be extremely broad <laughs> as far as shaking head. That could be there's a foxtail in there or like an infection or something along those lines for sure. But it looks like we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Marin. And thank you, everybody. And have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks, Darren. Thanks. 